All right, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at today and continue our series, a short little series here for Advent, of course, uh, on our journey through this idea of a, a, a theology, of living our theology of Christmas. We've also subtitled it a confessing Christmas or a confessional Christmas. Uh, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 2, I thought, you know, I should have entitled it a Westminster Wonderland. A Westminster Wonderland, since we're looking at some passages too, some sections from the Westminster Confession of Faith, it would have sounded like a Hallmark movie series of the old British days, and everybody would have, at least the ladies would have been all of a sudden engaged with this Westminster Wonderland. But uh, we are looking at some of the historic statements as well as scriptural passages that have come before us about what the, the, the themes and the context of Christmas is about. And as we think about that today and think about living in our time, 2022, uh, what does Christmas mean? What does the reality of Christ doing? It's helpful to remember that, you know, the, the tradition we come in as believers, our faith, it didn't just sort of drop down from the sky earlier this year, right? We, we know the tradition, as we've even seen from passages we've read in our service today and passages quoted in prayer. These things have been going on leading up for thousands of years before Christ came. And then there's a history as well from when he came right up to today and the point that you and I live in space and time and history. And we do well to draw from some of those resources, obviously the scriptural passages, but also of believers that go before us. And so Today I want to invite us uh, as we're going to look at a passage about Christ humbling himself and how he's exalted. One of the first things we can do is to humble ourselves to say, maybe I need to hear from some things outside of my particular time in history. Maybe I even need to read a few words and sentences that may be worded a little funny and I didn't even know I maybe needed to know about. And maybe I can humble myself to realize I, I need the voice of history in my life. I'm, I'm not sufficient and the church today is not sufficient in and of itself. We need to hear not only from God's word, but from some of those that have come before us and sought to put in writing key things about our beliefs. So, we're going to do that today by reading from Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. It's a passage I've read uh, numerous times to our church, but I read it fresh again today in this context of Christmas. And then I'll read briefly. I think they're simpler and clearer statements even than the last few weeks from uh, two of the questions from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which comes from the 1600s. So uh, listen to me as I read uh, to you Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be clung to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. And then let me read to you uh, number 46 from the, uh, shorter, from the larger catechism. Asked this question today, and I've reworded it from their phraseology, but it asked this, what was the situation of Christ's humbling? What was this humbling that he had to do? And then it answers that question. It's meaning to teach us about these things. It was that low condition wherein he, for our sakes, emptying himself of his glory, took upon the form of a servant in his conception and birth, life, death, and after death until his resurrection. Sounds pretty much like a summary of what I just read in Philippians 2, right? 47, question 47. How did Christ humble himself in his conception and birth? In that being from all eternity God. Some strange wording here. In the bosom of the Father, he was pleased in the fullness of time to become the Son of Man, made of a woman of low estate, that means low situation, and to be born of her with diverse circumstances of more than ordinary abasement, more lower than normal. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, help us today to journey with you in the path of humility with an eye towards your promise of exaltation. Help us to get low that we might be lifted up. Help us this Christmas season to see the beauty of you, Lord Jesus, lowering yourself to accomplish what we could not accomplish, and also, Lord, to show us the way to go in following you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I certainly don't normally pay close attention to the latest astronomy news, but I recently encountered a fascinating detail about uh, this planet, Janssen. J-A-N-S-S-E-N. It's got a technical scientific name as well, but I'm going to go with Jansen for today. And they may be playing for you in a moment here on the screen if they can get it uh, queued up, a little video, in fact, of what they think this planet looked like. It was only recently observed in any detail because it's located far away in one of the solar systems and it, it revolves around the sun. The sun that it revolves around is named Copernicus. And Janssen I found remarkable for a couple of reasons. I, I, it caught my attention when I first uh, saw this. Uh, it, despite the fact that it's actually eight times the size of our own planet, eight times the mass, Astronomers initially, when they thought they were seeing something, I think a couple of decades ago, maybe 2004, they began to see it, uh, ignored it because they thought it was just a tiny little speck. It was so small from our distance against the backdrop of the sun it revolves around. It is so close to the sun that it revolves around that it goes around it not in the 365 days that it takes us to loop our sun. It goes around in 17 hours. That made me picture when I was younger and you'd like, you, your dad or some bigger kid at the playground gets you on the, the carousel that you push around and really gets going fast and you're whipping, right, all the way around. I mean, you can feel it almost how fast it rotates around its sun. And that's how close it is to that sun. Uh, scientists are amazed 
that it remains a distinct planet that close to the intense heat and brightness and gravitational pull of the sun. And it is unbelievable, as they show in the pictures here, that it is so close to the sun, its, it's oceans literally are lava. Its oceans are, are lava. Uh, lastly, the analysis of several major you know, telescopes that have looked at it indicates that although the surface of it is on fire, is lava, at its core, and the core of this planet would be roughly the size of our own planet, they speculate that it is made out of solid diamond at the core. As I thought about that planet and our passage, it really, for me, was quite a picture. The, the planet has been named the planet from hell. I thought the opposite. What could be more heavenly, a picture of heaven, than this planet that stays in its own identity, it exists as its own thing, and rotates so closely, so inflamed, so set afire by the sun that it's near in proximity that it is on fire, literally. What, what, what could be a greater picture of our relationship with God, how we should, in our lives, revolve our lives around the Lord in a dependent, uh, reliant relationship with the Lord every step of the way, and how we, too, can have the exaltation, the glory to be being set spiritually on fire. The radiance and energy of that sun certainly pour over into that planet the same way we're invited. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is the exact radiance of God's being and he's pouring out that light in us who know him and relate to him. What a, what a picture as well, as I just mentioned a minute ago, that at the core is potentially a huge diamond. As I know, we all are praying and hoping and pursuing that the Lord would work in our lives at the core of who we are, something beautiful, something dramatic that shines the light of Christ to others. And we know, of course, that Christ himself has at his core purity and righteousness and holiness. So today, my invitation, and I don't have a, a ton to say, I'm just going to take a look at how these few catechism questions help us think about that idea of our lives in humility, independence, in reliance, revolving around the Son of our Lord, and what it looks like to, to go low, to assume that position where you and I uh, might feel sometimes like we're just a speck. Just a speck in the whole scheme of, of, of the world, of those things that are around us, and yet can be, in fact, huge in the spiritual work that God does in our lives and have at our core a diamond of God's powerful working and transforming grace. So the main idea today is this, that since Jesus traveled the path of exaltation through humility, that we should align with him in orbit and seek to be set a flame. Now, about a month ago, we looked at some of these very same themes in Isaiah. You remember a passage I preached through, if you were here, 
on the victory of Christ. And in fact, we didn't orchestrate this, but uh, Jason was uh, praying through Isaiah 53, which is that passage we were looking at at the time where we know that Jesus, uh, in a sense, loses in order to get victory. Today, we're looking at the fact that Jesus gets low. He seeks the humblest place in order to be exalted, to be lifted up. And both of them are similar kinds of things, but deserve their own attention. They're parallel themes, but deserve our uh, focus today. And so I, I hope that one of the things that we have begun to recognize about the Christian life is that in order to save our lives, we've got to lose them. That starts with entering into a relationship with Christ where you say, I am done trying to live life myself and in my own power. I'm done pursuing my own directions, uh, whether those are things that look good and pure and righteous to the world. And I think I'm going to uh, achieve the, the level of righteousness and goodness that I need to by my uh, good, mature behaviors, or whether that's going after things that the world looks and says, that's pretty lost, that's pretty broken and pretty empty, and you're feeling the pain and, and loss and suffering of that. Whatever direction we go, the gospel comes into our lives and says, uh, Christ will save you. Christ will exalt you, but in, in that that path comes through saying, I lose my life. I yield it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then prayerfully, every single day of our lives after that is an additional opportunity to lose our lives and save it every single day. Well, here's the problem. We don't want that. <laughs> we want the fast track to exaltation. Give me the pill let me throw it in the microwave, put it on my Apple Pay, uh, give me the fast track to it. I don't want a laborious or uh, challenging or lowering path of having to humble myself, having to lose. I don't want to go that path. I want you to throw it in the microwave. I want you to deliver it at my door five minutes after I order it. I want it, I want it easy and the way I want it. We, we, don't, we don't want to take the path that it takes to get there of, of being humbled before the Lord. We, um, we also don't really want, this is going to sound strange, we don't really want this kind of Jesus to be our leader. In our sinful condition, we do not. We are like Peter, who when Jesus told him, you know, Peter confessed that Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are the rock on which this church, you know, the church will be built. That confession, profession of faith is solid. You couldn't get any better. And then two seconds later, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be lowered, demeaned in that way. And Peter rebukes Jesus right and we wouldn't say that we would be so bold to get in Jesus's face but we don't really we don't want that kind of leader right we want a victorious leader who wins all the time if you're a football fan like we are at our house we want Josh Allen to go run over some people and dive into the end zone for the big play and touchdown that is the victory we want we don't want a humiliating and demeaning and degrading Victor, right? That's not what we want. James 4.10, if you want to take anything else from our time together today, this would be a good one. Humble yourself 
in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the pathway of the believing life for the Christian. It's not microwave. It's not uh, give me the pill. It's not Apple Pay. It's not instant. It's a journey, and it's a journey down in order to go up. And the catechisms really highlight that for us today, just a couple of the ones we looked at. What is the situation of Christ's humbling? What's the situation of his humiliation is how it is actually stated in the catechism, but I thought you might have a little, you get hung up on that word a little bit, so I put in humbling, but the, the catechism actually says, what is the situation of his humiliation? That's even stronger than it is. You know, humbling, we can kind of put a good spin on it. Yeah, I'd like to be a humble person. That'd be a good thing to be, right? I don't want to be humiliated. Do you want to be humiliated? What is the situation of his humiliation? It was that low condition, right? He entered down. Jesus is fully God, and he entered down into the situation of a, of a creature, right? We, we creature, he creator. You know, Tarzan and Jane. Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. He creature, he creator, we creatures. That's who we are. And Jesus entered into that low condition that we have. Just That's who we are. We're limited beings created by God. And we're also sinful fallen beings, so we're also limited in that way. And then it says, wherein, listen to this wording. For our sakes. You know, it's a little trite at Christmas time to talk, of course, about, well, remember that what the greatest gift is. We need to remember the greatest gift. And, you know, we've sent Christmas cards with that. You've probably sent Christmas cards with that. And that's a great thing to say. Well, it's easy to forget that part of our gift giving at Christmas isn't just about, hey, I want this new thing. And it's nice to show love to your family or friends or whatever. My friend got me something, so I should get something back, reciprocal or whatever. It's about the idea that God, for our sakes, gave himself up. Right? That's the picture behind that giving. And then it goes on. It says he's emptied himself. Obviously, he retained his divine nature but he put limitations on his power to come into the world and restrain himself in that way. And then it says, took upon him the form of a servant. Took upon him the form of a servant. Mark 10, 45 uh, talks about that, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see all of this, and of course this happens in the whole picture of his conception, his birth, his life, his death, until his resurrection. For today, Christmas season, we're focusing on his birth. So the next question I put before us, to try to deepen our faith, to try to draw from history and enrich our understanding, how did Christ humble himself, question 47, at his conception and birth? In, in what particular way was this humility being shown? In that being from all eternity God, so he's all eternity, he's existed in this high status and elevated realm and, and relationship. And then it's got this weird wording, in the bosom of the Father. I think that's just an attempt to describe the language of closeness, right? If somebody's right in your, and we don't use the term of the bosom, but right in close to you, right? He's, he's right close with the Lord. He's in close, intimate fellowship and, and relationship with God. He was pleased in the fullness of time to become man. Again, here we have that idea. He, he, he didn't grudgingly do it. 
He didn't, ha- he didn't, he didn't, oh, I guess I'll go do, time to go do my homework. Or, oh, the boss told me to do that work. I guess I'll go do it. He was pleased in the fullness of time to do this for you and me. Made of a woman of low estate, of low situation. He wasn't born into royalty. He wasn't born into the elite class. We forget that. He was born into uh, a poor family and a poor situation. That's why they're looking for an inn. That's why they're putting him in a manger because that's, where they are in the whole socioeconomic scheme of things. So more than ordinary abasement. So in every way, he's going low to raise us up. Well, concluding thoughts for us today as far as how we can apply this. If we want to think uh, pictorially, I draw your attention back to that illustration I opened with, if it is helpful for you, of this planet rotating around the sun and maybe thinking about what does it look like in my life for me to enjoy, not to fight against it, not to resist it, but to really enter into the fact that I I am to the world, I may appear to be a speck, but to the Lord, I'm rotating around him with great speed, great proximity and closeness, enjoying great light and great heat from him at every moment. And indeed in such a way that hopefully, prayerfully, we all make stumbles and steps along the way off the beaten path, but that he's working something in our core that is of diamond. That, that that's the, the type of relationship that we can have and enjoy with God. How, how do we do some of this? How do we live this out? Well, I think it means we sometimes are voluntarily going to take the back seat in life. It's hard to do, right? Voluntarily take the second place. Voluntarily have somebody else go before you. It sounds so simple, but it's hard for us to do. We want our rights as Americans. We want our status. We feel we have privileges. If you're in a certain demographic, as probably many of us are here, you think you have a certain role and respect that you should receive from other people, and you kind of carry that around. I carry that around. What does it look like to take second place, to take last place, to serve and to bless others? A prayer life. We just had a fantastic Sunday school. I'm sorry if you, if you missed it this morning. The Doherty's led us through just a time of praying for our church for the next year and praying for the ministries that are going on and learning how to pray. You know, prayer life, it, my lack of prayer life is so telling about Chris Peters and his pride. Because if I was more humble, I would be more prayerful. It's a simple equation. It's a really, really simple equation. And I don't need to go to any doctor to get it diagnosed. All I got to do is, have I prayed? Am I praying? Am I praying in reliance? Am I praying in heartfelt dependence? Hmm, not feeling much there, Chris, right? Something's wrong with the heart level to, to exist in a dependence. And then let me share with you just these last passages, and you can take them with you. How to apply this. I gave you a few things to apply in prayer, in putting yourself behind others. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 gives us a couple of other things. It is certainly this should shape how we view others to where we become much more attentive and interested in what is wrong with us and how can we come before the Lord with those things and rest in his grace and so much less concerned about the other people around us and all the stuff that they're doing wrong. Right? Jesus told us, take that log out of your own eye then you and I will be able to remember 
be able to remove the speck from our brother's eye. So when you're, when you're humble, when you're recognizing your own condition, you're, you're just enjoying fellowship with God. And let me say this, Tim Keller put it this way, years ago read this and I thought it was helpful. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. You got that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? It's not pretending that you don't have the abilities or talents or personality or whatever you feel like you've got to bring into the world that the Lord's blessed you with. It's not thinking less of yourself than you really are. It's thinking of yourself less. You're just a focus on others and other people around you. So Philippians 2 says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in his spirit... Uh, any sympathy uh, and any and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, if you look right after the verses we said we read, verse twelve, it says, "Therefore, my beloved." As you've always obeyed, now do so in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it gives some descriptions after that of how to begin to do it. It's, it's a working out of this humbling and exaltation with our Lord. Well, let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the pathway of salvation. We thank you that Jesus went and accomplished the humbling that we never can accomplish in any full way in our lives. And we praise you that he did that for us because we're prideful people. We want to exist in our own power and strength. We want to chart our own way. We don't want to live in obedience and surrender to you or believe that that's the way of human flourishing. We want to come up with our own paths and our own pursuits and think that those will give us hope and joy and, and not uh, find that in you as our God. And so we, we know, Lord, we cannot live this out perfectly. And yet we pray this Christmas season in particular that we would embrace at a deeper level what it means to follow you, Lord Jesus, in, in orbit. And in that orbit that we would be set aflame, that you would work something of a diamond in our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.